financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Hello. Well, hello. How are you? I am doing good. What is our topic today? Well, how's your holiday season going? <laughs> I've, I've done no shopping so far and I've started nothing. Well, good for you. Everybody I've talked to has spent time in doctor's offices lately. Oh, that is true. I had that cough that I couldn't get rid of for a couple of weeks. So Yeah, exactly. Including myself. I'm fine, of course, but I'm fighting a rotator cuff problem, uh, trying to avoid surgery, etc. And, you know, it means going to doctors and having consultations and weeding through things. And so I've been spending some time, you know, standing in lines waiting and I was at a Mass General Brigham and Women's affiliate, Cooley Dickinson, mm-hmm. and they had a poster up on the wall. This is, I'm such a financial nerd, it's pathetic. I'm there to see a doctor, and I'm standing in line, and I notice this poster on the wall that says, your rights and protections against surprise medical bills. And automatically piqued your interest? Well, I, I mean, sadly, I took a picture of it so that I could <laughs> read it later, and I wouldn't hold the line up. But I have to give Mass General credit on this one, Cooley Dick credit on this one. They took what is a very complicated, um, or can be a complicated situation, and they broke it down into pretty pretty um, concise language. I, I'm not going to read it verbatim off this poster, but I want to give them credit for putting together something that was understandable, because if you start to research this on the Internet, uh, you will find so much information. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I, I want to say is that you know, we're recording this show in Massachusetts, and the laws vary from state to state, but I will give you a federal uh, website and phone number so you can check on your state in particular, because we're going to talk today about balanced billing and surprise medical bills. So balanced billing is, you know, if you go to the doctor and let's say you have an HMO or a PPO, Mm -hmm. they might say, okay, health maintenance organization or preferred provider organization for, you know, the layman who isn't into this yet, but they might say, okay, you have a copay of such and such, right? or you have a deductible of such and such, or you have a coinsurance amount of such and such. Those are all the things people are kind of used to doing, right? If you've ever done it once, when you get to the counter the next time, you'll say, do I have a copay? (laughs) Yeah, and that's usually what you're paying up front before the final bill comes in. That's right. And what did pique my interest about this is I got another call. I've had two in a week. Another call from somebody saying, I got a medical bill, and it was almost a year old, or the other person, it was more than a year old. Do I owe this? Oh, was it? Was that the original bill that they sent more than a year later, or had they gotten other notices before that? Original bill. Wow. I've had it happen. Truly, I have. So, you know, by the time you get this bill, you don't even know what you're being billed for. Mm-hmm. So the things... I'm going to give you a lot of things about your own protection for this, but the first thing you want to go to is your EOB, which is your explanation of benefits. Mm -hmm. And that is supposed to delineate why you're charged, how much your health care insurance paid, what you've paid, if anything, and what other amount might be left over. Now, the question is, are you responsible for that leftover amount? And what happens if they bill you a year later? Hence the word surprise billing and balance billing. Okay. Right. You would think there would be a time limit on that. Well, yes, you would think so. So, so the insurance companies say there's a time limit. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if they don't bill you, they don't bill the healthcare provider within six months to a year in most states, the insurance companies just won't pay it unless you 
you know, go to bat and argue it and, and are, are successful in winning it, but they just won't pay it. Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, are you responsible for it? Your health, you had health care. They didn't pay it. And now are you responsible? Now, not being a lawyer, I've done some legal research on this and my armchair legal capacity. And for the most part, what I've read is, yeah, you're still responsible. If the service was legit, if you weren't overbilled, if it's not surprise billing, et cetera, et cetera. If you would have been responsible in two months, you're probably still responsible after a year. However, I will tell you that in my personal experience, whenever we've had this happen, including these last two phone calls, Mm -hmm. we just call up and say, look, you know, this was a year ago. I mean, come on, you can't expect these people to pay this now. And they just wiped out the bill. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you might be responsible, but you might also be able to get out of it. And we're going to talk today a little bit about that sort of thing. What can you do to negotiate a better payment, uh, negotiate it away, not have to owe it? Is it legal? Is it not legal? Uh, Again, a caution, word of caution, talk to an attorney about this. I'm bringing general information for educational purposes to the airways. And so poster that I'm talking about uh, was very clear about, you know, whether you're getting your service out of network or within your network. So if you are, if you have health insurance and you are part of, let's say, a PPO or an HMO, as I talked about briefly earlier, then there are certain providers you're supposed to see, right, if you can. Mm -hmm. If you want your insurance to cover you, let's say, you should stay in network if it's possible. Right, or it pays at a higher benefit if you go to that preferred provider versus owing a little bit more if you go to somebody out of network. That's exactly right. But there are times that you're not in control of that. Mm-hmm. Let's suppose you have an emergency. You get rushed to the emergency room. Maybe you're not even conscious. Maybe there's an ambulance involved. You get to the emergency room. Whoever's on staff doesn't happen to be part of your in-network provider. Mm-hmm. Or they have to call in a specialist and they're out of your network. Right? Are you liable for that? Do you owe it? I'm going to I'm gonna guess the answer is yes. No. Oh. <laughs> well, it's not that you're not liable for it, but they can't bill you, at least in the state of Massachusetts and most states, they can't bill you for more than you would have paid in network. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And for emergency services, mm-hmm. uh, the most they can bill you is the in-network cost that we're talking about, such as your co-payments, co-insurance, or deductibles. They can't balance bill you for emergency services. In other words... You know, if, if uh, they bill your insurance for $700 and it pays $500, mm-hmm. they can't bill you for those other $200 under emergency services. This is one of the places you're protected from balanced billing in the state of Massachusetts, Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Now, how likely is it that they will try to balance bill you? Does that happen often or do you know some information on that? You know, I really don't know the answer to that. I, I would say from personal experience, I get people who get these bills that show up late most often from collection agencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow things get peddled off to collection agencies or collection agencies buy them and then try to collect from people, very often seniors, and whatever they get, you know, they get a portion of them, the hospital gets the rest or whatever. So I'm not a conspiracist about this. I don't think that the hospitals are going, great, balance bill everything you can, you know. But I, I also think that people in charge of billing, they aren't in the emergency room when you get these services. They're they're doing their best to keep all these insurance company regulations and billing and contact information uh, organized. And I, my hat's off to them. I'll tell you, medical billing, 
oh my goodness, everything's got a code. Nothing mm-hmm. goes by name. If you punch in the wrong code, it doesn't get paid. Uh, it's it's um you know a labyrinth of information. In my previous life before radio, I was a, I was did medical billing for Phoenix no. Insurance. I did. I I did. I had all the diagnostic codes and the oh. office exams and all of that. So I I am actually up on this. You never told me that. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. Four hundred one point nine hypertension. I know these codes. <laughs> <laughs> what was it again? Four hundred one point nine. That's your diagnostic code for <laughs> hypertension. So what? So tell us a bit about your side of that. What was that like doing medical billing? And did you have any idea if you were, you know, balance billing someone who shouldn't be? No, you you really didn't. With that, I mean, it, it, like you said it all had to do with the codes. Like if you happen to put in the wrong code, say, for example, a doctor sent in a bill for an extended exam, like maybe it was a physical or like a long, you know, a longer visit. If you Mm -hmm. happen to put in the wrong code, they might just get paid for a regular office visit. And then the balance bill would go to the patient. So it is something you have to stay on top of because not only can they just try to bill you the balance bill because, hey, if they get the money, great. And if they don't, they know they're going to write it off. But, you know, you got to keep track of if there might be a mistake made on, on some end. Yeah. Yeah. So you were on the insurance side? I was on the insurance side. So what would happen is doctor's offices would send in um, the bills for office visits, surgeries, whatever it might be. And I'd have to, like, look through the bill and review, see, was this really a comprehensive exam? What, what exactly did they do? Or was it just like a quick blood pressure you know, temperature, 15-minute visit, make sure that they're billing for the appropriate office visit for the appropriate length of time. Um, For surgery, you'd have to kind of read the reports to see if it looked like there might be complications, then that bill might be higher, and then that would have to be justified by a doctor on staff. So it's it's a really complicated thing. I am sure (laughs) that people, people out there must be interested in this question that I'm about to ask, I hope. Uh, because I think we have a sense that insurance companies are the evil monsters. Their job is not to pay these bills. Now, while that might be true from an actuarial standpoint or something, you know, we want to keep our books as clean as we can and, and mitigate risk, at the level you were at with billing, did anyone ever hint to you or train you in some way to evade paying money out? No, I would say that no one ever did that to me, but we did have a whole fraud unit because they were very Mm. up on making sure that either from the doctor's office, you weren't getting billed excessively or on the patient side. And there was actually an entire department dedicated just to that. Um, And it was really, you know, millions and millions of dollars a year of either excessive charges or, you know, some problem with the billing. Sure. Yeah, I, I. I think that's good to hear, and I think for anybody who's received medical bills and they're not sure if they owe them or they thought the insurance paid them or the insurance won't pay them, the number one thing I would tell you is to find out if it was coded correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And send it back. Call your doctor's office and say, my insurance isn't paying this, and I would think that they would. Are you sure it's coded correctly, or is it, can it be coded in a way that uh, is covered under my plan because, you know, medical expenses are so high. That's just such a great piece of information to give people because that's exactly right. Like if you call and say, was this coded wrong? You're right. There might be a more extensive code that they could put in that would cover a little bit more of it if that's what was actually done. Well, let's face it. I mean, we've reduced complicated things. In your example, hypertension. Now, why don't we just write hypertension? Mm -hmm. No, instead we translate it into a code 
and it's easy to make a keystroke. If you misspelled hyper, hypertension, if you sent in hypertension, somebody would figure it out. Hey, this must be hypertension. Right. But send in 401.9 rather than 401.8, it's a different item. Oh, absolutely. And the office visits, were be, they'd be like a nine code, like 90020 was just a regular visit, but a 90050, you could get paid almost twice as much because that was the extensive visit. So you're right. Like if you just mentioned coding, that could fix the problem. I feel like I'm watching some sort of 1970s cop show on TV. We got a 90050. <laughs> it's hysterical in a bad sort of way. I mean, you know, if you have one or two little medical bills or a small, you know, a health problem that might be of concern to you, but you're not buried in these bills, it's not so bad to sort out. But when you start talking to somebody like a cancer patient or some like my sister who had bilateral lung transplant, Mm -hmm. you can't even figure out the billing. Everybody and their brother is on these bills. You didn't see half of them. Sometimes you're unconscious. Sometimes you're in an ambulance with life lighting. The bills are astronomical, and they just keep coming in in these little dribs and drabbles. I was going to say, as soon as you thought you got the last one, I'm sure another one came in. This is definitely a topic that people are going to need help on, and I want to talk more about this. But first, I want to get your phone number in case somebody does have these medical bills piling up and has questions. Absolutely. It's 413-773-3333. You can also visit HugYourMoney.com. We have much more with The Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up with Part 2 of Financial Fitness on WHMP. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, The Money Doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Am I impressing you with my knowledge today? I tell you, you're, you are a bag full of tricks there. Nobody knows what you've done, where you've done it. You've been you know, experienced in a lot of areas, mostly radio, but you know, just when you think you're starting to know somebody, (laughs) hey, I did medical billing. Yeah. So I want to go back to these things that you're, that you can't be billed for again. Okay. uh, Just so that people are clear about this. So the, in the emergency services area where we are talking about, you can't be billed for the balance of the emergency services. Mm -hmm. That includes even after you're stable in stable condition, Unless you've given written consent, giving up your protection, not to be billed for those balance bills. Okay, okay, so for example, if say you go to the emergency room and then there's like a bunch of lab bills and stuff that you got done when you're there, is that a different category? Yeah, actually, well, no, it's not really a different category. It's all under this emergency room thing. But certain services that are in a net in your in network hospital mm-hmm. or ambulatory surgical center might also be things that you don't owe like that. So, for instance, what you just asked about... The lab bills. Well, yeah, emergency medicine, anesthesia, pathology, radiology, laboratory neonatology, 
assistant surgeon, hospitalist, or intensivist. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know intensivist, but an intensivist is a person who is actually the primary care decider for somebody who has critical care. Okay. Care needs rather than as a consultant, like I, I have recommended over the years, get a patient advocate involved. And a lot of hospitals now have just cut that job out because of budgetary problems. But um, which but is really it, sad because this stuff gets really, really complicated. I know when my mom yeah. got sick, if we hadn't had my sister who's a nurse, we wouldn't have been able to figure any of it out. Absolutely. And so, an intensivist, it would be you'd think that would be some specialized thing that they wouldn't pay for, but in this case. Yes, they can't balance bill you for that. Oh, interesting. And that bill is probably expensive. Yeah, I'm sure it is. So, you know, if you get these types of services in-network, the out-of-network providers can't bill you unless you've given up that written consent. You've given up that uh, protection in written form. Okay, right? so, say that, so say they are billing you. Is your fight then with the provider or with the hospital? Uh, well, I would go first to the hospital, but I'd, I'd go to your insurance company right away and say, I'm getting these bills, uh, I was in network, and let them fight it out. And in, in fact, that's what they, they do. There was a, oh, there was a law passed in 2022, I think it was April maybe of 2022, mm-hmm. maybe it was April 2023, 2023 I think it was, that covered some things like that, like what medical bills would show up on your credit reports and which would not. Mm-hmm. and when they disappear and all of that. But also, I think under that same law, um, they said if you're balance billed or if you don't think you owe something, go to the insurance company. The insurance company will argue it with the provider and keep you out of the middle of it until there's a resolution so that really ill people are not, well, so that anybody is not bothered by this uh, at a time when they're supposed to be focusing on recovering. Yeah, I'd much rather have my insurance company fight it out than have to deal with you know each bill individually. Yeah, yeah. I mean... In some states, this balance billing is illegal. Uh, California comes to mind. Our, our neighbor, Connecticut, mm-hmm. I believe, is still illegal. Uh, Florida, Oregon, there's a bunch of them. Now, many of the states have some sort of blend of protections, like Massachusetts has, where it's not illegal, but it's very limited what they can do. Mm-hmm. So you're only responsible for paying your share of that bill, like co-payments, co-insurance, deductibles, that you would have paid if the provider was an in-network provider. And, and this, this is, is in an emergency room situation we're talking about. That's right. And, and those others in-network hospital or ambulatory surgical center things that I listed there, like like the, like the uh, intensivist and mm-hmm. the lab, laboratory work, et cetera. You know, the first thing you should be doing if you're getting these bills is to be paying attention to, hey, do I actually owe this or not? So let me just run this down. Your health plan in general must pay these kinds of things. They must cover emergency services without requiring you to get prior authorization. Mm, That's always a funny one when you hear that. Like, I didn't know I was going to have the emergency, so kind of hard to do a prior authorization. Yeah, well, it used to be the case, but now, no, they they must cover you for that. They must cover emergency services by out-of-network providers. So if you go to the emergency room, as I said before, and somebody needs to care for you and they're not in your network, the insurance has to cover it in general. I'm sure there's some exclusion somewhere I don't know about. But, yeah, so they have to base what you owe the provider on that in-service schedule that I'm talking about. And they have to show you that amount on your explanation of benefits. So one of the keys to all of this is that EOB, Mm. explanation of benefits. If you just get a bill and it says, you know, pay up or else, right, you want to get, Okay, what were these services? When were they done? 
how much has my insurance company paid? And if you're not getting that, absolutely start by requesting that. Okay. And they have to count any amount that you pay for these emergency services or out-of-network services toward your in-network deductible or out-of-pocket and out-of-pocket limit. Okay, that's good because that's always that's always more for your out-of-pocket if you do an in-network. So that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some benefit to doing it. But so that, that's the, the balance billing I'm talking about. It's the prize billing. You know, you're, you're unconscious in, an, in a helicopter, and a year later you get a bill that you had no idea was happening because, you know, you paid your copay and coinsurance and deductible, and now you've got a $40,000 life flight bill or whatever. You don't owe it. Mm-hmm. But somebody owes it, maybe. But you're, under your health insurance, it's likely that you do not owe that. Uh, in the state of Massachusetts um, with regard to balance billing and surprise medical bills. But again, I can't caution this enough. I I often say I'm not an attorney, but I'm not only not an attorney, I'm a bit out of my depth here because I'm not a healthcare specialist. Right. So, you know, I'm bringing this to light because people complain to me, geez, I got these bills. I don't know what to do about them. Are they going to bother my credit? I've set up a payment plan to pay all these bills. They keep coming in. Uh, The biggest thing I get is people will say, I've set up payment plans. Every time I get a bill, I set up another payment plan. But when I hear from them, it's because they've gotten so many payment plans, even though the payments are low, they're struggling to make them, and the bills are still coming in. You know, my previous uh, producer and and our friend uh, Chris Collins, you know, was quite open about this on the air, that he had major medical problems, and the bills kept coming and coming and coming. Mm -hmm. And the stress that was involved in trying to manage those was so high. And, you know, we became involved together about this and, and just figured out what did he owe, what did he not owe, and made small payment arrangements on the things that he actually owed. But a lot of that stuff is just about what we were talking about earlier. It's either not coded correctly, it's billed inadvertently, somebody didn't realize that you were on an, uh, an HMO rather than a PPO or, or the, you know, the opposite, whatever. And so these bills get sent out to you. Um, question for you. So if you get, you know, you have a bunch of medical bills, you had some kind of issue and you've got a bunch of them coming in and you're getting overwhelmed and you're thinking, I'm just going to take all of these and put them on a credit card. Would you always <laughs> recommend against that because then you're going to be paying interest? I recommend using a credit card to pay your medical bills. Yes. If it, I absolutely hate paying medical bills with a credit card. Mm-hmm. For one thing, medical bills are treated differently on your credit report than your credit card is. It's not that they don't show up. Mostly they'll be from collection agencies when they show up. But when they're paid off, either by you or your insurance company, thanks to that law that was passed, I think, in April of 23, if I'm correct about that, you know, they come off. Now, that's not the case with your credit card. Even if you settled your debt, like some of these companies want you to do, that thing's going to stay on your credit report for seven years. So please don't put your medical bills on your credit cards. I know they make it easy for you sometimes. Like, we can just take a credit card. Instead, I would recommend taking four steps. So the first is follow up with your insurance company. You know, make sure that they're actually paying the bills that they've agreed to cover, that they're coded correctly. That's your first point of check is your insurance company. Mm -hmm. Checkpoint, are they paying it? Will they argue it for you? Because believe me, the insurance company will go to bat on this. As as you well know, that's what you were doing was vetting these bills so that the insurance company could figure out whether they were supposed to pay them or not. Exactly, yeah. So then you can negotiate any unmanageable bills. Let's suppose you get through this part and now okay, I still owe this stuff, but I can't pay it. Mm-hmm. Just call the hospital, call the medical provider, whoever is billing you, and try and negotiate it. They, in my experience, have been more than happy 
to set up a payment plan, even if it's just a tiny little amount, $5 a week, whatever you can afford, ignoring it is the worst thing you can do. So you can keep setting up these um, payment programs every time a bill comes in. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting a stream of bills, don't wait for the whole thing to be there because it could take you, what, a year, right? right? Don't wait for the whole thing to be there. Be honest with your providers. After you've called the insurance company, if you're sure you still owe it, then try to negotiate those bills. Now, one thing you can do is there are people called billing advocates. So you could try to find a billing advocate to mm-hmm. work on your behalf. And so that way, they re- they act as a buffer between, like you said, who do I call? Maybe you just call a billing advocate and you say, look, I'm swamped here. I need more help than just calling and making a medical payment arrangement. And so they help sort through it, negotiate, figure out what the insurance is going to pay, all of that. When you say and, negotiate, do you mean that they can actually maybe get the provider to take some of that money off? Or do you just mean set up a payment plan? I mean, I don't know about you, but personally, I've experienced places that will say when in the old days, now maybe it's not saying now, but in the old days when you didn't have to have health insurance. As a self-employed person, I decided I was young and I could handle the risk, and so I didn't have health insurance. Probably if I was very wealthy when I was young, I would have had it anyway. But anyway, I just didn't have insurance like many Americans didn't. Mm-hmm. And if I went to the doctor and I said, I don't, they'd say, do you have insurance? And I'd say, no, this is self-pay. They would give me a different bill. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure that's probably not legit, especially now, but it happened. I think they're not unsympathetic. And when somebody is racking up these monstrous bills, if the insurance company isn't paying it and you actually owe it, yes, they will often say, I remember one hospital, uh, I forget if it was Dartmouth-Hitchcock or somebody we dealt with with my sister, but uh, who said, oh, if, if it's private pay, whatever's left over, if you just sign this form, you'll pay 50%. Oh, that's and great. Cut it in half and set up a payment program. So, yeah. And then last but not least, I would say if all of this is not working for you and you finally just find yourself completely overwhelmed, you've done everything we've talked about here, and you're still set with a lot of bills you cannot pay, consider crowdfunding. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's what... Like you mean a, like a GoFundMe? GoFundMe, right, like a GoFundMe page. Crowdfunding sites, there's one called uh, Give Forward. That's another one like uh, GoFundMe where, you know, you pay it and, and your friends and family who would like to help you do it, they get together and they do it. I recently had a, a client who's unfortunately now has passed away and he had terminal cancer. He was fairly young, you know, early 50s. And he was very worried. He'd never been sick. He didn't have a lot of life insurance. You know, he's very worried about his family. And the medical bills were pouring in. Mm-hmm. And he's having treatments. And he's worried about everything. And a friend of theirs set up a GoFundMe page. And when I last checked, uh, $50,000 had come in. Oh, so, wow. yeah, at, you know, $25 here, $100 there, it adds up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, consider all of those things. But above all, when you get these medical bills, please don't feel like, oh, I got a bill. They cared for me. I have to pay it. Yes, they're going to get paid. The insurance companies will pay them. Um, even the out-of-pocket people that I'm talking about who can't bill you more than the in-service uh, fees, mm-hmm. whatever they overbilled it, the insurance companies pay. So it's not like you're not paying people or caring for you. But you need to watch out for yourself in this case, too, and that is what you pay insurance for. So let the insurance companies argue it. If it all fails, you know, breaks down there and you still owe it, try and negotiate it. Consider a billing advocate. And above all, if you have to do it, consider some crowdfunding. All right, some great advice. Let me get your phone number. Sure, it's 413-773-3333. And the new revamped book is available everywhere with a new title. 
retire debt and retire well. And you can also visit HugYourMoney.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Next week on WHMP. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have you heard about Get The Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off, it should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. Getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. There was a time when we never even thought about debt, never worried about debt. I mean, I could literally take a month off, and all of a sudden we got here because we didn't know how to do the money. And it's a shame because of our age that we didn't know how to do it. But, but somewhere, somewhere we got lost, and this is where... Hug Your Money has turned our life around. I'm very excited about it. We've got as much money now as we had in debt before. And we did this in three years. Three years we did it. My name is Bill. Yeah, I'm going to retire in May, and I'll be 71 in June. I've been working a long time for this. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique. It's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Hello. Well, hello, Jeff. Happy holidays. I know, right? It's I cannot believe we're already middle of December, not middle of December, but close to halfway through December. It flies. We always say that even if we start early. You know, many many people start shopping early and, and sometimes we duplicate our presents because we shopped early and then we get the shopping the shopping fever at the holidays and we say, But let's get something else. Mm. So I'm one of those yeah. people that does not start my shopping early. So people that are already all done, I'm jealous of, but I don't do that. And I know there's a lot of people that do it throughout the year to make it easier, but yeah, there's definitely different styles of of shopping. Well, I tell you personally, I have run the gamut. I I can remember, you know, going to, uh, oh, who was it that would have the midnight specials? Was it Kmart? There's the blue light. The, the blue light specials. That was it. It was Kmart, right? Mm-hmm. Blue light specials. My niece and I would get together and we would wait. And, and at midnight, they would they would be open all night or whatever. And we would wait and go to those stores and, and do our shopping. We'd be walking around like a couple of silly zombies, mm-hmm. you know, best deals we could get because we were shopping on like, you know, no money trying to make this work. And so when I say I run the gamut, I've gone from that to, you know, I've tried shopping throughout the year right. to make this year. I have to admit, I love to give presents. And so they never make it to the holidays. I am the same way. Like if I buy something and I say, I'm going to save it for whatever, I give it to them the next day. I can't wait. It's very rare that I can, that I can just wait to give it to somebody. I always have some excuse why they should have it now. And, uh, but I do love to do that. And of course, within my means, that's what we do, right? But again, you know, I have shopped in the holidays when I had, and, and when I say no money, I know people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You walked up, up hills both ways to school <laughs> and five feet of snow, right? No, I really mean like no money, less than no money, you know, in debt, 
people calling me saying mean and nasty things to me prior to the the Fair Credit Act being well known about. And I've been, you know, well off in shopping. And I have to say that for me personally, the emotional part of it is always the toughest. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, figuring out what you're going to get somebody, whether it's going to be an experience or a gift, will they love it? Mm-hmm. You know, should you get these people something and will you be making them feel like they should have gotten you something? Or can you just be generous and just say, I have it, I'm going to just spend it. I'm just going to spoil everybody I know because I like to do it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And the statistics show that 55% of holiday shoppers say it stresses them out. I'm More surprised than- that that number is not higher, honestly. Well, you know, they only pulled a couple thousand people. I think it was, uh, oh, who did this, New York Times or somebody. I'm sorry if I've forgotten who the source was, mm-hmm. but you'll be able to corroborate this on the web through a number of places. Oh, it was NerdWallet. NerdWallet did this 2,000-person uh, survey. Okay. You know, 55% of holiday shoppers said it stresses them out. Now, that's most likely because of, you know, all together now, money, mm. right? Well, of course. I mean, that's the big thing. Like, you always feel like you don't have enough, especially as a parent. Do you have a story? Uh, does something come to mind to you immediately, Jess, about a time when you might have been struggling financially and, and you had kids and and what that was like for you, what you did? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I will say I, I did the complete opposite advice that you would give anybody, which is I made sure he always had great Christmases, even if it meant putting off a bill that was going to have to be a little bit late. I just always made sure that he did. Um, but it was interesting. I was looking, just going through your Facebook feed, you know, different things pop up. And there was this story that kept popping up about a mom who, you know, was really stressing out about Christmas because she had stuff for all of the kids. But was it enough stuff? Like, would they feel like they got enough stuff? And yeah. then part of part of the story was just a reminder that if you think back to when you're six years old or seven years old or however old her kids were, you never remember like the particular item you got. You remember like some memory from that. Like that was the year that you and your mom made Christmas cookies or your dad dressed as Santa or whatever it might be, but you remember the memory around it. So for parents, it was just a good reminder to, because I do this nonstop. I, I count how many presents each kid has to make sure they're even so they don't fight. And then is it enough stuff? Even though I know they're overloaded with stuff already. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, and they they open them. It's done in an hour. You know, you spend a month shopping for it, or whatever. It's done in less than an hour. Sometimes they open them up, and pretty soon the toys that they play with are pushed to you know they come to the top, and the rest of the stuff is pushed to the side. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I find when I when I say things like this to people is they look at me like I'm a dinosaur in some ways because I'm I'm saying the old fashioned advice that you just said, right? The stuff that matters is. And people look at you and go, yep, yep, yep. I had this story when I was a kid and it was like that, but it doesn't work that way anymore. That's what people will tell you. It mm-hmm. doesn't work more. And, and when you ask them why, they'll say, because kids want iPhones, kids want Apple Watches, kids want, you know, the newest video game, whatever it is, right? Right, yeah. But that was the same as when we were kids. We wanted everything we saw on television. Yeah. Everything. Everyone want- wanted a Walkman. Yeah, when you're a child and other children have things, you're in America, you want what they've got. That's how it works. But if you remember back, honestly, you'll remember times that were especially great. And they usually have to do with an experience, as you said. Now, Mm -hmm. something that was not an experience, now this is really where people will laugh at me, but when I say I came from a family without much money, Mm -hmm. I, I have to say, we didn't know we didn't have much money. I mean, our parents made sure we felt loved, they made sure we 
felt uh, valued mm-hmm. and be open with us about, you know, this is going to be a pretty lean Christmas or, you know, and they just sort of prepared us. They didn't depress us about it. Mm-hmm. We we're just like, okay, so what are we going to make for dad this Christmas, right? Because that's what mattered to them too. But this one Christmas when, when we were, I might have told this story. I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm bored. Okay. But one Christmas when we had, you know, my dad was out of work and things were really lean. And my mother was thinking, what am I going to give these kids to play with? Mm-hmm. Now, people will bust a gut laughing at this. But darn it if it isn't the story that my siblings and I tell when we get together at Christmas, right? She packed up these boxes of things with, this is really a crazy story. I can't believe I'm admitting this on the air. But she packed up these boxes and wrapped them up, of course, you know, nicely, mm-hmm. with all these little bits and pieces in them. And the bits and pieces were things like, are you sitting down, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a roll of aluminum foil. Oh, to do what with? Well, I'm going to tell you in a second. Some Dixie cups, mm-hmm. the little tiny ones. Yep. A pack of pipe cleaners. Okay. Now there were more things in there, but that's exactly the point. To do what with? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. To sit on the floor with your mother and learn how to make aluminum foil bells for the tree. Oh, cute. So we all remember that Christmas. I can't tell you another thing I got that Christmas, mm-hmm. but I can tell you what the lights looked like reflected in the in the clean floor underneath the tree. I can tell you what my mother's heaven-sent perfume smelled like. I can tell you about, you know, the the stories that I have with my siblings when we get together. I know, folks, if you're out there listening to this, you're going to say, if I gave my kids that, they would throw the trash at me. Yeah, you're probably right. Things have definitely advanced since, since then. But the point is the same. The point is, my parents must have been terribly worried about what we were going to have to open under the tree at Christmas. And my mother got it. Now, it let, like, me, let me ask you this, though. As Do you remember back opening that? Did, were you... Oh, yeah. What was your reaction then? Because I'm sure parents now are thinking like, okay, yeah, great. In 20 or 30 years, they might remember the memory. But right now, they're just going to be mad they didn't get the new iPhone. Well, I have to say, my parents were pretty good at that. My father would let my mother take the lead, and she would... She was a very quiet person, but she really knew and loved children. And so I think kids do what you expect of them, Mm -hmm. right? And so at a little age, now we're not talking about giving teenagers this stuff, right? There's a different world entirely. But little kids, they care about the experience of opening it, being excited, ripping the paper off, and then having somebody tell them, oh, look what you got. Mm -hmm. Oh, do you know what we can do with this? We can do this, right? Right. I mean, I didn't plan to tell this story today, folks. I'm sorry if you're <laughs> listening to this going, the money doctor has lost it. But the, the point is the same. If 55% of the people or more feel stressed out by the holidays, what happens to your sense of joy, your sense of love, your sense of peace, your sense of generosity, all those things that we are supposed to think, you know, that we're taught and maybe are supposed to be the spirit of the holiday? Mm-hmm. You know, while you're busy trying to make sure that your kids have enough things to open up under the tree and that they have what we term as, and you use the term too, a good Christmas, mm-hmm. we are busy racking up credit card debt, not paying a bill, being stressed out. So what does that do with your ability to give love and and a stress-free Christmas or a stress-free holiday to your kids? Mm-hmm. Does it trickle down? And the statistical answer seems to be, yeah, it trickles down. Not only do the kids experience what you're experiencing, even though you think you're hiding it from them. I mean, kids are, that's their whole job is to figure out how to 
manipulate their environment, right? They're terrific at it. Mm-hmm. So they have to understand how things work, and they get it by subtle hints, right? That's how they how they learn that stuff. And in addition, they're learning, okay, last month money was kind of tight, and we were worried, you know, I could see mom was worried about filling out the bills and things, but now I have all this stuff under the tree. I mean, it's so, such a it's such a good theory. It's just really hard as a parent to to do it. You know, I mean that that's the bottom line. It's just it's really tough to do. Well, I don't expect anybody to go cold turkey. In fact, I don't expect anybody to agree with me. You know, no, I to- I totally agree with you because you're right. Like the, when you get the credit card bills in January, that stress and that does pass down. You know that you can't really hide that. Well, you know, in years when you have enough money to do this and you can do it, mm-hmm. that's. And you can share that with your, your older children, you know, 9, 10, 11. They start to understand, hey, this year, you know, we had a pretty good year, so we're going to splurge a little bit. We're going to save also, but we're going to splurge a little bit. And in years when it's really thin, teach them about what to do when it's really thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some about isn't the money that matters. As much as my job is to bring money to the airwaves and talk about money, what I always talk about is how... It's just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. You can you can create new traditions. We'll talk about some of this in the second half, Jeff. But you can create new traditions that cost you nothing. You can make a fuss over something that normally would have been nothing, mm-hmm. just in past, like a roll of aluminum foil. You know, <laughs> I, ridiculous. I, we still laugh our butts off about that because how ridiculous was it that she looked in the cabinet and thought, "What have I got?" Well, you know, yeah. Well, I laugh when you say aluminum foil because it reminds me of my mom. Um, we didn't get that as a gift, but what she would do is when she ran out of Christmas paper or really for the majority of the gifts, she would wrap them in aluminum foil because it was shiny and then just put a bow oh. on it. Oh, that's funny. My brother used to wrap everything in the comics. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. But it just reminded me of her with the aluminum foil. But we will have more stories. I've also got to tell you, Atlee's been doing a little Christmas shopping. I want to tell you about her generous spirit. Maybe get a tip from you, too, on that uh, coming up in the second half. But first, I want to get your phone number. Oh, thanks. It's 413-773-3333. And you can go to HugYourMoney.com. More stories and more tips for holiday shopping coming up in the second half of Financial Fitness with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, right here on WHMP. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, and we're talking holiday shopping. I know. And you have a six-year-old daughter. I wish we could have put her on the air. I would love to hear her thoughts about things. Well, this I've got to get a tip from you on this because so this is the last couple of days this has been going on. So I have like my Amazon account set up 
and you can add things to the cart or whatever. So she's been going on and having me like press different things in there. And she's been adding a bunch of things to the cart that she wants for Christmas. But then this is what she's been doing. So she had like 21 items in there. And then yesterday I look and there's 38 items in there. Well, in her little generous spirit, she's decided she wants to buy everybody Christmas gifts. So she's uh-huh. put gifts in there for everybody, but this is my credit card attached to the account. So yeah. little tip on how you explain to these kids who just bless their hearts, as they say in the South, but she wants to be so generous with everybody. Somebody that I might not necessarily buy a gift for, like, you know, the aunt's, uncle's, brother's stepson, yeah. like, because they're little kids and they want everybody to. So what's the tip for, like, explaining to kids that you can't buy something for everyone? Does that make sense? Wow. Uh, yeah, I, anybody listening will know that you just caught me completely off guard. A, I don't have a six-year-old, <laughs> but I was once a six-year-old. Right. So, so, wow, the tip to explain it. Well, I don't know if this is what you expect me to say, Jeff, but I would say that you do have to start teaching her what these things cost and how you make choices, and that's what the big picture here is about. And so you say to her, I think it's wonderful that you want to give people things, but we only have this much money to deal with. Mm -hmm. So this is what we have for a budget. And if you want to give all these people all these things, you can do it. But every time you do that, we've got to take something off of the list of the things you want. Oh, that's a good suggestion. Yeah. It's better than we just, we don't buy from, for Uncle Benny's girlfriend. We're getting them nothing. But I like that idea better. Oh, yeah. Because then she gets to make a choice about her generosity. She may well say it's six. I find my mom, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I still teach the spirit of Christmas right there, right? And that's really, boy, what an opportunity to teach somebody about charitable giving. Mm-hmm. You know, I see people who tithe, right? They give 10%, 15% of their income off the top to their church. church or, yeah. And I think that's admirable. Mm-hmm. But when I see them racking up credit card debt at close to 30% because they don't have enough money to do this, I have to have that hard talk with them and say, I promise you, your church does not want you to be giving them money while you are going deeply into debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's, it's the same for the holidays. Your friends, your family, your loved ones, if you were to ask them, hey, I'd love to get you that for Christmas, but it means that I'm going to be paying for it for 12 months or more more than likely, I think there was something like 30% of the people are still paying off last year's holiday mm-hmm. gifts. They would tell you unequivocally, no, I, no, I'm good. I got it. Yeah, but you know? I will say this, that, and we talk about this a lot on a lot of these shows about how money and psychology are tied together. Like mm. for me, a lot of it is not about whether I'm going to go into debt to buy something or whatever. It's that it's the feeling that I get when I watch somebody open something that I know they're really going to love. So that's the thing. It's not so much that I think someone's expecting something, but it's like, I just, I love, just like you were saying with yourself at the beginning of the show, you love to give gifts and love, love to make that other person happy, you know, no matter who it is. But you know what? Um, you just brought up a great point about Atlee, about your six-year-old. Mm-hmm. That is the the pleasure that you get out of it. Not necessarily whether it was an expensive gift or not, but that you got the right thing for them. Right. And the other thing is that you got somebody something who wasn't expecting it, and it's an actual surprise. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it doesn't what it costs, but you baked cookies, whatever. So I, I did say that we would, speaking of baking cookies, talk about maybe making some new traditions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some people do these advent calendars where there's, you know, 24 days of yep whatever in them, you know, a little gift, and you can share those with your siblings or whatever. So it's leading up to the holiday. But one might argue that that's just another way to spend more money on the holiday. But it's 
it's one of those ways of enjoying the feeling of the holiday. Mm-hmm. I've but got again, one up on my refrigerator right now. Do you? Really? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> well, some of them come with like jars of jam in them and things, you know, and so you. This you one have has a- um. This one has little dark chocolates in it. So I mean, Go. it's the holiday, so it's no calories. Right. Exactly. Well, you know what? Cut a chocolate in half. The calories escape. <laughs> what happens? And we can't live without a good rationalization here or there, right? Exactly. So anyway, what you could do to help your kids understand the feeling of holiday rather than just clicking and putting things in the cart, mm-hmm. which I think is very interesting about how things work today. Uh, and I hope she can't check out on you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I made sure of that because I was like looking at the thing. And I think the I think the items up, like I said, were up to about 39 at this point for a total of like 700 bucks. Like about 37 of those things are coming out of the cart. Yeah. But it is an interesting lesson in American greed. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she is six and she's on Amazon. I'm not trying to insult your daughter. And we, we all suffer from this. She's on Amazon saying, I want quick. I want quick immediate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be, you know, if your parents can keep you away from the television for a while, they could keep you away from I want land. Well, until you, until you went out to a store in, in person and then, they're th- you know, you're throwing everything right. in the cart. Right. But, you know, it, it was a little easier for parents to guard themselves from this. Not, mm-hmm. not, it's everywhere. But what I was say- saying is you can take some things that, you know, maybe would have gone unnoticed before, like, I don't know, making homemade eggnog mm-hmm. or uh, mold wine or something like that, that I mean, it doesn't have to be alcoholic, but, you know, some mold cider, let's say, something like that, that would have gone completely unnoticed. And, you know, get your kids involved, get them in the kitchen, make a new tradition. Today, we're going to make this Let's call it mold cider for a moment, right? We're going to make this cider. We're going to do it in maybe a crock pot. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's easy for the kids to help manage. And it makes the whole house smell like the holidays, mm, right? Nice. And then you connect that sense of smell next year. Hey, remember last year we made this cider, right? Let's do that again. And in that way, it becomes what you and I were talking about, the memory of the holiday, not the gift, right? Not the present. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing you could do, you know, cookies. I mean, people say things are different today. I will tell you what, six-year-olds still love to make cookies. Mm-hmm. Teenagers love to make cookies. Gingerbread houses, whatever. I mean, if you you can do that, and then here's another lesson for your, your daughter. Look, I know you want to give all these people gifts, but we have limited amount, so here's our choices. We can start taking things out of your cart, or we can figure out how to make this work within our budget. Mm-hmm. And you look feature how you know, when it's a give-and-take situation. Oh, so you still want to give these people something, but we don't have any money left, or we're down to very little. What if we made them cookies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. And then you get her involved in making cookies. So she doesn't learn that, yes, you can have a generous spirit as long as it's affordable. Right, right. You can have a spirit, and you make your pocketbook fit your your gift list mm-hmm. instead of the other way around, right? So I hope that this is, useful information to people in some way. It just it just kills me to see the statistics on this stuff. With you people know. stressed out. Yeah. For, can I toss one in? I, I did this yeah. one. Um, this was, you know, some years back. I was working at a radio station and everybody wanted to do gifts. And of course, everyone was broke. Um, so what everyone did, which I thought was really cool, was like throughout the year, you know, you get like di- different little promotional things, whether, I don't know, you might go run a 5K and you get like a, a yeah. bottle, a water bottle, or I got different things throughout the years. So we took all of those things, which were new, like anything you could think of that you brought in, like you might've gotten like an echo dot for something. And then we, and then we did like a Yankee swap and traded all of it. So we didn't end up spending any money, but we still got to do the fun of like people opening up a surprise gift, 
but and and also knowing that no one spent any money on it. That's right. That's right. I, you know, there are many things you can do like that. I, I like to say, give somebody an experience. It doesn't have to cost a thing. Mm-hmm. Take papers, make a gift certificate, handwrite it if you want to. Have your children decorate it and say this. In fact, we're going to do it this year for a couple of friends. They don't need anything. And I have a little vacation place, and I'm just going to say, here's a weekend at our vacation place. Oh, that's go. awesome. Yeah, that's they, a great thing. They can get, get away for a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it cost me? I'm already eating. I'm already, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Now, not everybody has that luxury thing. You know, I think my lucky stars about it. But you can do that with any kind of an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a day shopping together for a girlfriend, you know, or we're going to go to lunch. or so. you Probably would be going out to lunch anyway, but you can make it a special holiday thing. Uh, you know, there were, in these statistics that I was reading, there were a number of people who planned to give, I think it was 31% of the people planned to give 30% fewer gifts this year or spend less money on gifts this year. Mm-hmm. People are really feeling this pressure. And there was even something like 5% or 10% were planning on giving something that was a used item, like an antique or, a, you know, something else that they were re-gifting mm-hmm. uh, in some way. I'm so, not against the regifting at all. I know some people are, but I'm perfectly happy with a regift. If it's something that didn't suit you, but it suits someone else, have at it. Yeah, I, I know it's a hard conversation to have, but if I'm going to regift something, I will ask the person who gave it to me. You know, I I know you thought I'd love this, but I know somebody who really would. How would you feel about me giving to them? Oh, and they always, good for you, because I just I just pretend that I you know I put it in the other room for right now. Oh, that always I I think that's going to come back to haunt me someday. Course, I, yeah. But people are always very, um, they're first of all happy about the honesty, and then they learned that it really wasn't your thing, and they're happy to have somebody else use it. They don't want to give you something that you don't use, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, think about these kinds of things. 74% of the people will put their gifts on credit cards this year. Uh, Thankfully, 66% uh, plan to also use cash. So I know that doesn't create 100%, obviously, but they'll use both. But, you know, it's sad. I mean, 4% of people are going to use payday loans. I saw a statistic on the news, I think it was last night or the night before, that said that the average amount that people are going to spend on Christmas this year is $1,600. Oh, I, I didn't read that high, but uh, I think I saw 800, uh, 8 something, 823 or something like that on an average, and I thought that number was low. So $1,600 doesn't surprise me. I, You know, there's so much pressure in the holiday, in you know, so-and-so always gets a gift for us, so we have to get something for them. Mm-hmm. And if you say, I'm going to cut my list back, I don't feel like getting gifts for everybody, you feel like a Scrooge, you know? Well, and it's uh, also awkward if somebody hands you a gift and you don't have anything in return. Uh, like, what do you say? Oh, it's it's so hard. It's awkward. Uh, it, it is awkward, and it, it will happen. Somebody will think of you, and you haven't thought of them. and and you. But you have to realize that if you're doing that to other people, you're causing them to feel awkward. Mm-hmm. Another thing you might tell Atlee, it's wonderful you want to give everybody everything, you know, how do you think they'll respond when they get it? And if she says, I think they'll be really, really happy. Okay, great. If she, if she starts to say, well, maybe they'll feel bad that they didn't get me something, then you can say, even at six, well, you know, this is about making them feel good. So how about you make them a paper card or you, you know, you do something that isn't necessarily buying a gift, especially at young ages for children when they like to make things, and it really does warm the heart of adults. I mean, I, I can remember one of my clients' kids bringing me uh, gifts that they made. They, they made some um, jelly and apple butter mm-hmm. in the kitchen with their mom, and they, they did the labels, right, and the mom helped make the food, of course. 
they did the labels and they came by and they dropped it off. And it was a complete shocker to me. I had no idea they had me in mind at all. But I still remember it because it was such a nice thing that she was, you know, bringing her kids to give me little jars of yeah. serves. I mean, the, the kids last year for, at the end of school made fudge for all the teachers and like all the teachers' assistants. And they were so happy to get something because they normally don't get anything and they loved it. Yeah, yeah. Talking about your daughter reminds me of one, one last thing. And I hate to cite a commercial that's on TV. I can't even remember what company it is. But there's a scene where there's a little boy shopping in a store and the parents are waiting for him and they're saying, oh, he's still shopping, he's still shopping. And then what he buys is a, a pair of slippers and he brings them to Santa. And he says, these are for after work. And that's exactly what I'm saying is, you know, that gift, he could have been shopping for himself, but he wasn't. He mm-hmm. was shopping slippers for Santa. And that was so sweet, you yeah. know? Yeah, it really that, is. It's a manipulative commercial probably, but <laughs> it works. You know, I just remember that scene and I, I just thought that was, that was a really great way to show the spirit of giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's not the spirit of opening your wallet and this is the time of year when you consume everything you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Well, if people have questions, can I get your phone number? Sure. Um, I just want to say, you know, we've been talking only about Christmas and I think in some ways we could take a page out of the book of other people's holidays, Hanukkah, you know, Kwanzaa, other things that are not quite as commercialized as our Christmas mm-hmm. and just remember that that's what the spirit is about. So they can reach us at 413-773-3333. And I know it would make a great Christmas gift if you want to spend a little bit of money. The book? Oh, thank you. You can even download it on, uh, I think it's live on um, Kindle and ebook for like $5 or something like awesome. that. Uh, called Retire Debt and Retire Well. All right. They can also visit HugYourMoney.com. Well, we will be back next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, right here on WHMP. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jess. Happy holidays. You too. Have you heard about Get The Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. Getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the money doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. 